Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This September marks the 50th anniversary of Ferdinand Marcos Sr.'s Declaration of Martial Law. This series, we are calling it The Memory Project, hopes to keep alive the testimonies of thousands of human rights victims under the dictator's military rule. What you're about to hear is from an affidavit attesting to the ordeal and fate of one such victim. It will be read by one Filipino who pledges to never forget. Please listen. Mabuting makinig. I am the wife of Vicente Vic T. Tan, majority stockholder of Continental Bank, which was arbitrarily and illegally ordered closed by then-President Marcos without due process because of his cronies' interest in taking over the bank. On June 15, 1974, the height of martial law in the Philippines, my husband Vicente T. Tan was arrested outside of our residence without our knowledge. We thought he was kidnapped. My husband Vic was kept incommunicado in his place of detention, which was not made known to me, thus heightening my apprehensions and fears. Thereafter, I was placed under house arrest. A WAC, a lady soldier, was assigned to guard and prevent me from going out, and CIS, Philippine Constabulary, agents, even warned me if I went out of my residence I would be shot. There was a complete news blackout about my husband's whereabouts and safety. I felt that he will be liquidated any time. After seven long, agonizing months with persistent petitions of my only child, Frederick, an 11-year-old minor, we were finally allowed a short visit with my husband on January 2, 1975. Three weeks later, on January 23, 1975, the worst fear of my son of also losing his other parent came true. I was brought out of my residence blindfolded and dumped in a room to start my solitary confinement for the next three years at the Maximum Security Unit in Fort Bonifacio. This is the first time in my life I experienced being blindfolded. I groped and stumbled as I alighted from the vehicle that brought me to the unknown detention place. My feeling then was my life was in grave danger. Unknown fears crept in me, spreading in my whole body and system. I could not think of anything wrong or illegal I had done to deserve this illegal and inhuman treatment. What I resented most is that the military never gave me a chance to even phone my son who was in school to let him know that I was picked up by the military and was under detention. They lied to me that there was no phone in Fort Bonifacio. My husband did not know that I was also detained until months later. I was locked in a dark room with a wooden box covering the window and served with food unfit for human consumption. 
no newspapers, reading materials, TV, nor radio were allowed inside my room. I could hear sounds of birds chirping and planes landing and taking off. Every time I was brought out of the room, I was blindfolded and subjected to physical searching and other dehumanizing treatment intended to break me down. I was never interrogated nor told why I was being detained. I was jailed ostensibly to put pressure on my husband Vic into giving up his assets and properties, especially the controlling shares in the Continental Bank and the Filtrust Bank, to the most greedy Marcus crony, Herminio Decini, who owned and or controlled several business firms. One day, a fire broke out nearby. Smoke seeped into my room. I desperately shouted for help in mortal fear for my life. It took a long time before somebody came to unlock the door of my detention cell. I was overcame by self-pity and despair and cried profusely. I wanted to die, but certainly not to burn alive in an accidental fire. Later, we were allowed the so-called family visit. My son, my husband, and I, both blindfolded, would be brought to a common visiting room for a supposedly two-hour visit, but somehow the military guards always reduced this to one hour or less for flimsy reasons like there is no room available, etc. Even food brought by our son during the family visits was thoroughly searched and turned into mess. Conjugal visits were supposed to be allowed to detainees, but we were never allowed this. On several occasions, although my son had a high fever, he forced himself to visit us because if he did not come, I and my husband will not be able to meet even briefly. One day, a captain suddenly came to my room and seized my bare necessities like clothing, drinking utensils, and to add insult to injury, he demanded a receipt from me. I got so furious my blood pressure shot up. I got dizzy and demanded a receipt from him in return. He refused, so I wrote down the things he got and put his name without his signature. I asked for the one who gave the order to seize my things. He answered he was merely following orders. I asked, even illegal orders? He answered, yes, even illegal orders. This harassment made me feel that I had lost all my rights even the right to possess the most basic things. The above incident is just one of those many instances of harassment which I can never forget no matter how hard I try to. As a result of the series of harassments and mental tortures inflicted by the authorities on our persons, an excuse to deprive us of our hard-earned assets, our parental duty to tend to the needs of our only son Frederick has been neglected as we were both under military custody, and that fact alone contributed to a large extent to our mental anguish. These extreme mental tortures inflicted on our persons are so unbearable that could drive any normal being to insanity. Finally, after three long anguish-filled years, my husband and I were released on December 27, 1977, two days after Christmas. We were warned not to give interviews to media, otherwise we would be rearrested. When we were delivered home, the military guard told us that someone of authority had to sign the delivery receipt. 
it was as if we were some kind of chattel. Since only the house help was at home and her signature was not acceptable, we ended up signing for each other's release. I signed my husband Vic's receipt and he signed mine. Makati, Metro Manila, Philippines, July 29, 1993. Will you also pledge to never forget? And would you like to lend your voice to The Memory Project? Email us at tekateka at pumapodcast.com and we will send you an affidavit that you can record, a testimony you can help keep alive. In the meantime, if you appreciated this episode, please share it with a friend. Mabuting makinig, lalo na kung sama-sama tayo. Tulong-tulong tayo to remember and never forget. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.